Welcome to Illuminating the Scriptures, a study of Nevi'im. In this series, we explore the words of the prophets and delve into the meaning and significance of these sacred texts. Sefer Yeshaya, the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. This prophecy is a continuation of the previous prophecy which described the downfall of Asher of Assyria. And in this prophecy, we see that Assyria will be brought down and a different type of kingdom, a different type of monarchy, a different type of government will be brought forth. This is generally understood to be referring to the Messianic kingdom because the concepts described over here and the metaphors used over here are so extreme and so wonderful that there's no way that they could be understood to have been fulfilled in Hezekiah's days, which is what we would expect if we're speaking about the downfall of Assyria, then we would expect the, and the response, God's response to that is the kingdom of Hezekiah. And here it doesn't seem to fit with that. And my understanding is as follows. There's a plan and a process. Further on, we see in chapter 14, verse 24, that's a prophecy about Babylon. And in the middle of the prophecy about Babylon, God says, this is, this is my plan. This is my plan, and it goes on through 24, 25, and 26 in chapter 14, where it speaks about the plan that God, God has throughout the land. Even though he's speaking about Babylon, he, the subject over the prophet changes the subject to Assyria, and this is the, the plan that has been planned for all the nations. So what, what we're talking about over here is a pattern in history, not necessarily a one-time event. What we're talking about a pattern in history is that the government which leans on might and violence and which the whole foundation of the government is power and the ability to crush other people and that's the whole foundation and the whole structure of the government that government will be replaced by a government of fear of god of justice of unity and peace and this pattern plays itself out in history many times in different measures and different scales so in the time of assyria and Hezekiah, it played itself out on one level, but ultimately it will be played itself, this, the, the plan would play itself out fully in the times of the Messiah. There's another comment, is that there are many prophecies that speak about a utopian future, a future of peace for all mankind, it, mainly the end of the book of Isaiah, but in other, in other books of the prophets as well. Most of them do not mention a messianic figure and even the ones that do generally don't focus on the messianic figure here the emphasis seems to be on the messianic figure and the other events are perhaps equally important or of lesser importance but the point is that the emphasis on the messianic figure and my understanding again is that the theme over here is one government is being placed with a different type of government the government of assyria which represents the government of power and injustice and violence and the ability to crush other people, that will be replaced by a government of peace. Verse 1, A branch or a, a shoot will go forth from the, tr- the trunk, the stump of Yishai Jesse, that's the father of David. The Netzer is another word for a branch or a smaller branch. Will, Misharosh of Yifra will sprout from his roots. 
So we get this picture is that there's this stump of Yishai, the roots of Yishai, which is the father of David, and the Messiah will come forth from that stump, from that root. The idea over here, by using Yishai and not David, perhaps understanding is that we're going back to the book of Ruth, where we this righteous woman is described, actually a foreign woman that comes to join the Jewish people, and she ends up marrying Boaz, who's also described as a righteous man. And the key over there is kindness and sensitivity to other people. And that's the root upon which this branch will be built. Verse 2. It will come to rest upon him a spirit of the Lord. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and strength or courage. A spirit of knowledge. And an awe, reverence, or fear of God. Three words we use over here for there was chachma bina and later in the verse das just to explain the difference between these three concepts. Chachma is the acquisition of details of information of wisdom. Bina is the ability to analyze them. Das is the ability to apply them practically here and now. So the this figure will be imbued by God with a general a spirit of God broken down into wisdom that means. Knowledge, a lot of knowledge, bina, ability to understand and analyze, etza, counsel, which means to plan out complex thoughts and plans for whatever needs to be done. Gvura is the courage to implement those plans. Das is the, the knowledge and the ability to apply and immediately hone in what needs to be done here and now. And Yira Sashem, overall, a fear and awe, reverence of God. Verse 3, Vaharichai biyira Sashem. He'll be imbued with a spirit of fear of Hashem, which seems to be repetitive because that was what we just said in the previous verse. And understanding is that the overall tone of his spirit will be fear of God. This will be the, the, the spirit that he generates. Fear of God and awe, reverence, means that we're talking about a person who understands the kingdom of God, the absolute sovereignty of God. And this fear permeates him to a degree that it flows out to other people and the the, the idea is that he, the, this king that we're talking about is not his own king god is the sovereign and he is in such awe of god's sovereignty that everything he does reflects and matches and fits with the sovereignty of god because his overarching uh, spirit and and motivating uh, drive is not to violate that sovereignty of God. Every detail of God's sovereignty is clear to him, and he has that awe and reverence and respect for it that this is not going to be violated. I'm continuing the verse. It will not be to the what the look of his eyes or the, the seeing of his eyes that he will judge. And not to the hearing of his ears will he reprove. In other words, he will exercise his authority according to the way it fits with the fear of God, not the way it appears in his human eyes or his human ears. In other words, again, this is a, this is a continuation of the theme that he's imbued with the Spirit of God and it's through him that the kingdom of God is, is being manifest here on earth and he's going to judge and reprove, in other words, apply his authority according to the fear of God, according to the awe that he has of God and not according to what his human eyes would tell him. Verse 4, He will judge the impoverished with righteousness. He'll reprove with straightforwardness 
to the humble of the earth. He will smite the earth with the staff or the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips or with the spirit of his lips. He will kill the wicked. My understanding of this verse, let's focus on the, the four phrases in the verse. Judging the impoverished righteousness, reproving the humble with straightforwardness, smiting the earth with the rod of his mouth, and killing the wicked with the breath of his lips. Let's focus on that middle one. My understanding of the, the, the third one, smiting the earth with the rod of his mouth, my understanding of that is that he's going to destroy the powers that be. In other words, the way the world is set up, the, 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 the definitions, these names, Dalim and uh, poor and the humble and the land and the wicked, those are the names of, of the people or the, the entities that he's interacting with before he comes. In other words, the people are today humble and the people are today impoverished. Those are the people that will be judged and benefit from the Messiah's reproof or teaching. The powers that be will be destroyed. In other words, the way the government of the world is set up now is all about power. It's all about the more strength you have, the more ability you have to, to step on other people, get around other people, the more power you have. And that whole system will be destroyed. And that's what it means. He'll smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And he will, with the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. One interpretation of this, and this is from Rabbi Hirsch, is that his teaching will be so clear and he'll bring out justice and goodness and truth and kindness in such a clear way that wickedness will just dissipate that it will, uh, as, if it, as if it was killed. And the humble and the, and the impoverished are people that don't lean on their imagined strength. They don't lean on their imagined... You can be a wealthy person and still be impoverished. Meaning to say is, if you don't see the money in your bank as that which gives you power, then you're poor. In other words, because it's not the money that you don't feel any more uh, arrogance or confidence because you have money. Your whole confidence is in God. So that's that's the people who will be judging. That Those are the only people that will be left because the whole understanding of a world that's built on power and wealth and material possessions will be gone. Verse 5, The belt of his loins will be, of his hips, will be righteousness. And faithfulness will be the girding, the, the belt of his loins. In other words, the, the belt is what gives a person strength. His whole strength will be righteousness and faithfulness. That, that will be the, the strength of the, of the Messiah. Verse 6, the gar is the ave in keves. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, v'namer in gedi, yerbats, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. V'egel chfir umri yachtav, the calf, the young lion, and the fattened ox will be together. V'nar katayn noyegbam, and a young lad will be leading them. In other words, in this verse we have a description of the animal kingdom losing its violence. There are some that understand this, Maimonides in particular, that there's a metaphor to the violent kingdoms that exist today that are compared to the, the predatory kingdoms, the ones that you know invade other countries for no reason, that take advantage of their power. Those are the lions and the, and the wolves that will become peaceful and, and be together with the nations that are not powerful and, and that are humble and, and uh, meek. Others understand this more literally, that the nature of animals will actually change. Going back to the book of Genesis, where 
the snake is cursed, that enmity will be put between him and the seed of the woman. And so there are those that understand that this was something that was introduced with the sin of man, that there should be violence in nature, and this will be removed in the Messianic age. A third understanding is, is that this, and it plays up in verse 9, is that this will, is just referring to within the confines of the land of Israel that the animals will not cause damage. The, the simple reading of the text fits best with the first understanding is that literally the nature of the animals will change. Reading verse 7, The cow and the bear will pasture together. Tirana will pasture. Yachtov and together they will lie down their children. The lion, like the cattle, will eat straw. The young, the suckling child will play on the on the hole or the den of the poisonous snake. is another word for a poisonous snake. And muuras is also understood to be a den or a hole where the animal lives. Gamal, Gamal is a young child that just finished nursing, has been weaned. Yadai Hada, he puts down his hand or smites down his hand. The point is, is that the snake will and the child will get along together. There'll be no danger, there'll be no violence, there'll be no killing. Loyareu, they will not cause, they will not do evil. Vlayashkisu, they will not cause destruction. The Cholahar Kaji, in the entirety of my holy mountain. Kimala Ha'aretz Deya Sashem, because the earth is filled with knowledge of God. Kamayim Layam Mechasem, like waters cover the sea. So we get this idea that there will be no evil, no destruction in God's holy mountain. But then it says that the earth in its entirety will be filled with knowledge of God like water cover the sea. Which gives us to understand is that there's a little bit of a dichotomy over here, a little bit of a conflict. In the beginning of the verse we have the words Harkadshi, my holy mountain. And at the end of the verse we have the entirety of the earth. One way of understanding this is that in the Messianic Age, eventually, the sanctity of the land of Israel will extend throughout the world, and the whole world is called God's holy mountain. I think a more simple understanding and more straightforward understanding is, is that even in the Messianic Age, there'll be differences and levels of, of uh, holiness and godliness. And as we saw in chapter 2, the teaching flows forth from the mountain of Zion to the rest of the earth. So yes, the earth in its entirety will be filled with knowledge of God, but... It, its source will be in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem, in, in the Temple Mount, and that's where the blessing of peace will shine out more clearly and uh, with greater, you know, with greater emphasis and 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 with more. It, it will be more evident in that in that place in 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 the, in the Holy Mountain.